You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. What a beautiful text this is. We're only actually going to touch a little bit about this today. We're going to jump around a little bit, but but, uh, I figured this is a great way to start. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, His glory and goodness, He has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. This is the word of God. Let's pray and you can grab a seat. Jesus, we thank you once again for all that you've done for us. We thank you that you've given us these these things, these, these gifts, these character qualities to live out and to pursue. And I pray, Jesus, when we talk now about discipleship and the practical ways we can disciple one another. Help us glean, help us learn, help us uh, study, and help us uh, seek holiness as you call us to. And I pray, Jesus, uh, that you'll use me now, uh, despite my sin, despite my folly, despite my brokenness, that you'll use me, fill me with your spirit, and guide my words this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you grab a seat. I feel like I'm going to snatch this thing right here. Might get fired up on this one. This is again another one of our core values, discipleship. Last week we talked about evangelism. This week is on discipleship. And like I said last week, next week is on community. And then we're going to jump into the book of Hebrews and walk through the book of Hebrews together. But before we jump in, I, I just need to preface this. One book outside of the scripture has actually helped me in this call of discipleship more than any other and it's the book by paul tripp instruments of the redeemer's hands if you have never read that book i encourage you to grab that book instruments in the redeemer's hands that's who you are you're an instrument in his hands 
uh, to mold others to go and make disciples. So that book is just an incredible one to walk through. I think I've read through the entirety of it multiple times. It's, I think, one of the only books I've actually read multiple times outside of the scripture. So I just can't commend it more. But a lot of the things I'm going to say today are coming from that book. So I want to give the credit to where credit is due. And that is uh, Paul Tripp and his ministry uh, through that writing of that book. But there are many great definitions we could go to. This passage that we just read in 2 Peter, we could go to that one when it comes to discipleship. Uh, we can go to all others. Like The scripture actually gives us the best definitions of discipleship by far. By far. But Tripp's uh, definition comes really close. It's on the screen. Take a look at it. It says, personal ministry is what he calls discipleship. Personal ministry is not about always knowing what to say. It is not about fixing everything in sight that is broken. Personal ministry is about connecting people with Christ so that they are able to think as he would have them think. Desire what he says is best and do what he calls them to do even if their circumstances never get fixed. It involves exposing hurt, lost, and confused people to God's glory so that they give up their pursuit of their own glory and live for his. It is about so thoroughly embedding people's personal stories in the larger story of redemption that they approach every situation and relationship with a God's story mentality. We need to be filled with awe at what the Lord has called us to participate in. Such a great quote when it comes to discipleship. It's like this is an awe-inspiring thing that we are called to do. This is our task to do. It's such a good thing. Let me give you some definitions when it comes to Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.20 is a great one. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Now, when you understand what an ambassador is, it's a big deal. It starts to, it's, it, it undergirds that statement. An ambassador essentially is a resident representative of the sovereign Lord. A representative of the sovereign Lord. You represent Christ. And you are appointed for a special but temporary assignment. Until he returns, this is what you're called to do. That's an amazing assignment to do. To proclaim Jesus. Another one of my favorites is Luke 6, verse 40, where it says the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. See, this is a, is a follow the leader kind of mentality. Right? This is what discipleship is. It's a follow the leader. Like, watch the leader, but not just stop there. The leader ought to be following Jesus. That's what I've said multiple times from this pulpit. Don't follow me. Follow Christ as I follow him. And so if I'm not following Jesus, if I terminate your discipleship on me, that's a big problem. You need to get out of here. My discipleship is following Jesus. I want to look more like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. And so I'm encouraging you to do the same with me. Let's go towards Christ. And you know what? There's one person here that's doing this amazing job of discipleship. They're following their leader. See, Joni, at that young age of one, has already grown a beard to follow her leader. You can see it on the screen. 
This is John, this is amazing. This was sent to me a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, oh my goodness, I'm teaching on discipleship. John's my little disciple. All right, so this is what a fun thing. But let's talk about some serious texts as well that, you know, it gets a little bit more sobering as you get into the scripture. Luke chapter 14, 26 and 27 says it this way. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then Jesus in that text goes to two examples, and then he says this after those two examples in verse 33. He says, so therefore, going back to those two verses, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. See, discipleship is an all-in kind of a thing. It's, it's following the leader with everything you have, 100%. All of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is everything who you are. It's about him. It is not a 50%. It is not an 80%. It is not even a 99%. He wants all of you. This is what discipleship looks like. We're called to this, and we get this, right? Like, we get this. We, like, if you're a little kid, and you're, you're, like, I had a really great father, and this is where analogies break down, because I know maybe some of you have terrible fathers. But I had a really great father, and so when I hear father analogies, my goodness, that, that really connects with me. And so, like, but it should connect with you. It should make just common sense, even if you had a horrible father. If you, if you had your father there, and you wouldn't follow him when you follow some random dude that's standing outside of 7-Eleven, there's no way you would follow him. You'd follow your father. You'd, you'd follow your leader in that home in a much greater way, much greater, much higher way. We have the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in Jesus. And he says, follow me. Follow me. See, discipleship is modeling, it is teaching, it is training. One pastor said it this way, if you are going to be involved in what God is doing in others, come, dress for the job. I'm not sure if you saw uh, Jamie, but he had the sword and the shield, like a little armor of God going on. Like he's following his leader. And he's like, I got the shield, got the sword, I'm ready to go, I'm going into battle. That is what we are, we're going into battle there's an enemy that wants to confuse and destroy us. So discipleship is a big deal and one that we must take seriously. It requires growing. It requires letting go of the things in this world. It requires discipline and the setting of priorities in your life. Like, what is the most important thing? So today I want to give you some very practical things on how to disciple another. So this is going to be like like ground level, rubber on the road, kind of practicality stuff that we're going to talk about. Like, how do you disciple someone? Okay, so let's take a look. The outline is this. Disciple makers establish direction. They clarify responsibility. They instill identity. And they assist, encourage, and accountability. So number one, establish direction. This is our call as a follower of Jesus to help establish direction to the discipler or the disciple that you're discipling towards Jesus. You need to know where you're going. As a follower of Christ, you need to know who you're following first and foremost. 
and where you're going and how to get there. Like, there's no way, if you're walking down the streets and someone came to you and said, hey, we're Stanley Park, I would love to walk around the seawall. You're like, um, I think it's that way. At one point, is the blind leading the blind. You, you actually don't know where you're going. You have no agenda for change. You have no pursuit of any, any purpose. And so as a disciple maker, you must have direction. You must have direction. It's the same as parents and kids, right? Like, I always taught my kids, and they can probably repeat this over and over again, but I'll, I'll always say, hey, I'm here, you're here. And as you get up to 18, you need to be here. So my purpose for you, my direction for you, is get you to here. That is my goal. That is my purpose as a father. I want to lead you so that when you're 18, you can make wise, discerning, knowledgeable, Christ-like decisions by the time you're 18. Now, I'm always going to be there. I will give you input. I will direct you. I will lead you. But you know what? I'm also going to go, what do you think? We need to think about discipling. We need to have a, an agenda for this individual. And that's what this point is. Established direction is we need to have somewhat of an agenda for change. And there's three agenda-setting questions that you must ask yourself Number one, the first one is, what does the Bible say about what you know of your disciple? So if you're going to be a disciple maker, you need to know the disciple. You need to know where they are. Are they saved? Do they love Jesus? Do they, do they read their Bibles? Do they, do they involve themselves in a church? Do they submit themselves to the leadership of that church? Is that church Christ-like? Are, are they teaching about Jesus? Or are they walking through texts of Scripture? See, these are the things that you want to ask yourself. How then can I disciple this individual that sits before me towards Christ-likeness? See, every conversation you have, you're gathering data, helping guide to the truths of Scripture. This is what your goal is to establish direction for this individual. See, discovering what the Bible actually says is where transformation happens. Not just talking about it, but discovering what it actually says. This is, this is transformative. It will transform the individual before you. And so as a disciple maker, we actually then need to know this. So a disciple of Christ helps bridge the gap between the person, meaning if there's a person over here that you're discipling, you need to diligently know them so that you can set an, a, a direction for them. And the direction always is towards Christ. And then you need to know who God is. And what his responsibilities and direction is for this individual. And then you need to connect them. You need to help bring that together. And that is our role. It's a, it's a beautiful role that we've been given by God to help direct others towards him. So what are God, the second question, agenda question, is what are God's goals for change for this person in, in this situation? Not, not what do I want, but what does God want for this individual? See, we all know, I think, anyways, not to murder or lie, or steal, or covet, or commit adultery. I think we all know these things. And so we want to actually help change this person in the situation that they're in. And a lot of times we, we run from those things. Not always, but we do run from them. But what about allowing their marriage to be dysfunctional? Or anxiety to, to fill them to the point where they can't actually function? or fear, or comfort, or complacency, or laziness, or gossip, or broken relationships? 
Where are they living that you can help direct them to change? See, the good thing about personal ministry is that we can do these very specifically. See, we can literally get to know the individual before us. And if we know the scripture, we can point and direct them clearly in scripture and literally back away going, this is not me telling you, this is me trying to live this out. So let's do this together and live this out. And you can speak with authority on that because it's God's authority. It's not yours. And that's the beauty of disciple making. You're always pointing to Jesus. He's the one that's directing us. So again, it's not what I want, but where does God want this person to change? See, when we identify what God wants, we can speak with authority and confidence. Marriage in our culture is being destroyed, but as Christians, we have a lot to look to for guidance when it comes to the Scripture. When it comes to anxiety, we have actually a lot to look to for guidance out of the Scripture. When it comes to fear, we have a lot to look to for guidance But again, we need to understand that this takes a lot of time. We can't just simply throw Bible verses at people, harming them, but actually come alongside them and know how to connect them to God in a very good way, in a loving way, in a gentle way, in a compassionate way. See, this requires discernment and help from others in the body of the church. This is why community groups is actually so important to get involved in a community, get to know one another deeply that we might walk together towards Christ-likeness. We all have blind spots. Like I use those horse blinders as an example. I cannot see over there. But you know what? My friend is like this and he sees over there clearly. So he can actually be in my life and see clearly over this area. And the more we study the scripture, the more those blinders come off and we can start seeing things in a deeper way. And also with maturity, as we get older, sometimes we come into experiences and situations and those blinders get wider and wider, but we still have blind spots and we all need people in our lives to help direct that change for us. Thirdly, what are biblical methods for accomplishing God's goal of change? Well, this is the practical again. How are those changes going to take place? How are they going to be taught? Is there a resource we can get them to watch? Is, are they reading their Bible? Are they studying the scripture? Is there, are they involved in a Bible study? Are they together with others learning and gleaning the word of God, encouraging one another, sharpening one another? How can I help this individual walk in Christ's likeness? See, so work as the body of Christ to help move them from the unholy to the holy. That's 2 Corinthians 3.18, where it's you're moving from one degree of holiness to the next. It's the road of sanctification that we all need to be on. See, so we're called to live with one another that we might help keep one another accountable. So the main point of discipleship is you must have a direction and you must actually know this individual and know God to help connect the two. So establish direction. The second one is clarify responsibility. This one I'll try and speed up a little bit. But take a look at the screen. You can see a little bit of a diagram. I use this quite often. This is again in the book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. Such a helpful diagram to help us understand our responsibility. And this helps in work. Uh, This helps in life. This helps really with your family and raising your kids or whatever it might be. But that inner circle, that green circle on the inside is really your your, your responsibility. Like no one else but you has that circle. You are given a task. You are called to live that task out. 
And God is ultimately the one giving you that responsibility. When it comes to Scripture, we are called to go and make disciples. We can't just point to other people. We can't just point to the pastor. It's actually a call on all of us. And so we all have that inner circle of responsibility. The outer circle is the circle of concern. That is God's essential responsibility. We have no business being there. We actually have no control of anything outside of our circle. That's God's responsibility. And we need to entrust those things to the Lord. Like it really is an example is the fact of our kids' salvation. Well, there's a whole bunch of stuff, according to the word, that are inside of that circle, that inner circle. We are called to train them, teach them, lead them towards Christ. We're called to guide them, discipline them, help them with decisions, all kinds of different things in that inner circle. But when it comes to salvation, that's in the outer circle. You as a parent cannot change the child's heart. You can do whatever you possibly can until you're blue in the face talking to them about Jesus, but there's no way you can transform their heart. So that we entrust to the Lord. Lord, please change the heart of my child. My job is to read the Bible, care for them, lead them, guide them, teach them, and train them up in the ways of the Lord. But he is responsible for changing their heart. Another one that really connects with people is obviously when you have dysfunction in a relationship, again, lots here to talk about that dysfunction. And so we are called to go to our brothers and sisters when we have something of an issue between one or two of us. We'll go, go to talk to them. That's our responsibility. How they respond is in the outer circle. How they respond to my words, I can't control. I have no abilities to control. I, my, my responsibility is to explain myself with gr- deep clarity as much as I possibly can, but how they respond is out of my control. That's up to the, up to the Lord that we can hand over. So that's in relationships, that's in marriages, that's again with your children to help them in discipline. How you respond is up to you. This is on you. I have no control of how you're responding to my discipline to you right now in my love. Do you see how I'm loving you? You're responding in a way that's contrary to how I'm loving you. It's, it, there's a disconnect here. And so we train up our children in this. Let me move through this a little bit quicker, try to in a way. So, so the irresponsible, that really small little circle, maybe more like a really fat bagel looking thing. That's the irresponsible. You have shrunk in your inner responsibility circle to literally nothing. You're kicking back, got your feet up on the ottoman. You're laying down. You're just going, God's got this. He's got the responsibilities. He's God. I'm just doing this. I'm doing my life. I'm doing some of the things that he's called me to do, but not all of them. And I, and I ignore the texts of scripture that actually call me to something. I actually ignore them. One of those scriptures are one of the things that you will battle with if you're that big fat bagel. These people will be plagued with blaming others. You'll, you'll be really good at pointing others out. You'll be frustrated at others and also at God. You'll have a victim mentality. You'll be passive, not loving. You'll shrink your responsibilities given by God. Like neglect, You'll be neglectful and complacent. This is who you will become. The end result will be lack of faith or a fake faith. 
And the Bible is very clear when it comes to these things. When, when we are called to work, I'll give you an example. In 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 10 through 12, it says this. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to encourage these to, to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. This is what we're called to do. How they respond is up to them. And then their responsibility circle, by God's grace, will expand into the things that they've been called to do. See, we're called to take the responsibility that God has given us and to work to be a light into the community around us. Every one of us here has a community that we are called to be a light into. And we don't want to confuse them by living contrary to the Word of God when they pick up the Bible and start reading it and go, well, this you look, doesn't really connect here. And so we want to make sure that we live above reproach in all these matters. The next diagram that are over, over, overly responsible is that now you've expanded your circle. Now you're jumping into the, the realm of God, the things that you ought to actually entrust to the Lord. You're taking the things that God's responsible for, and this will leave you with anxiety, depression, frustration. You'll have a savior complex. You will be like the older brother in the prodigal son story. You will hold resentment towards others, and there will be fear of man to no end. Then result will be, again, lack of faith, bitterness towards others, and even God. And some things these people might say is, I just can't do this anymore. I feel so out of control. I'm going to do it my own way, and I'm burnt out. You might have expanded your responsibility circle. See, the lack of submissive heart to any form of leadership within the church, they are the Savior. You can see this uh, issue of responsibility is very important. See, when we call these, when we establish direction and then clarify responsibility, this is a, a key one of discipleship. The last circle there is just the confused. I don't know which way I'm going. And that's where, that's actually helpful when it comes to discipleship because they're, they actually might be willing to learn and listen. And that's where you can come alongside and love and, and direct and guide them to see where their, where their responsibilities are and where God's are. So establish direction, clarify responsibility, and instill, number three, instill identity. So out of everyone that you know, you talk to yourself the most, right? You may not talk to your husband the most, even though he thinks you talk to him way more than you talk to her, but you personally talk to yourself all the time. You're probably doing that right now. Like, damn, man, when is this thing over? Jerry, you're taking a long time on this. You're always talking to yourself. Some people, in my house anyways, maybe in yours too, talk out loud. And it's really confusing, all right? It's really confusing, especially when sometimes they go like this. What do you think about that? I don't know. Maybe we should ask the person. I don't know if they're ready for me to ask the person yet. They're actually switching spots. That's what, no one does that in my house, but it's, it's maybe, maybe you do. That might be a little bit crazy, but hey, let's, let, we talk, what my point is, is that we all talk to ourselves constantly. We're working through situations in our head constantly. See, Identity here, this issue of identity is central in how you respond to life. And the central point of identity 
is that you were designed to get your identity not from yourself. You're designed to get it vertically. You were to receive it from the Lord, not from others, not from books, not from anything else other than the Lord. That's where you are designed to get your identity. See, the thing is, you cannot live without identity. So what we tend to do as sinful people is to look towards other sinful people to give us our identity. See, as a teenager, you look to your friends, your teachers, your parents, the world. In your singleness, you look to relationship, your job, your abilities, your humor, your personality. In marriage, you look to your spouse, your kids, your job, your net worth. Later in life, you look to your grandchildren, your retirement, your abilities to holiday or rest, and your past accomplishments. This is what your identity is. This is who you are. You're claiming it on yourself you're getting your identity horizontally rather than vertically. Now get this, you're always measuring your potential in this. So you're measuring your potential to what you are assigned to. The little baby walking along the coffee table is measuring his potential. You measure your potential when you enter a classroom as a student. You measure your potential with your family. And I would guess that when you walked into this room today, you measured your potential with one another. We do it constantly. We're human. But again, that is a sign of where you're getting, it, getting your identity from. Now, this issue of identity is very important. This is where we jump into the second Peter uh, passage that we started to read. So in verse 8 of that, it says this, for if these qualities, and let me just remind you, they're in the verses just before, they're faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. Eight quality characters. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter, Peter is saying in this text, that there are some who know Jesus but are not producing any fruit. So when you read this, we need to ask the question, so how does that happen? And how, who are these people? Well, we can probably say all of us are in this category in some way or another. And the way we communicate is always, it is not always productive and fruitful. Like maybe just think about this last week. We probably didn't have a productive communication with every single person. But when faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, mutual affection, and love rule your heart, when those are increasing, you will respond to circumstances with effectiveness and with productivity. So in this passage, why don't they? Well, look at the next verse in verse 9. For whoever lacks these, these character qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. These people are ineffective and unproductive because they have forgotten who they are in Christ. They've forgotten their identity. They continue in the very sins they have been forgiven for. See, when you forget who you are in Christ, you quit pursuing what belongs to you in Christ. You quit pursuing it. You begin to worship the things horizontally. You begin to worship creation. You begin to think, see the things and, and you desire those things to worship you. This is what we do. So let me say this in a slightly different way. Your identity is Christ. 
See, your identity is Christ. When you believe upon Jesus for salvation, you become his. Now, I'm really trying to nail this point down, so please listen to this one. When you are his, he then gives you everything. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Everything is yours. When your vertical identity is all about Jesus, everything is yours. It is not about you anymore. It's about Jesus. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, says this really clearly in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Like this passage is incredibly important to understand as you direct other people towards Christ. As you disciple. It's incredibly important. There's three statements here. They're on the screen. There's first one is statement of historical redemptive fact. Historical redemptive fact. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer me. My flesh is now dead. I now live in the spirit of Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection. It's no longer me. I'm his. So when I say identity, I'm saying don't look at me, look at Christ. I'm elevating him. He is the one I want to elevate. He is the one I want to point to. It is him that lives in me, is producing in me, sanctifying me, making me more like him. I don't want to be about me. I want to be about him. The second statement, statement of present redemptive reality. This is the life force that lives in me, is no longer me, but is Christ. I am the place where Christ dwells. I am never alone, and I am to glorify him, not me. I don't know if I can say that anymore. I hope you get that. We're not about making ourselves and proclaiming our identity. We're proclaiming Christ. That's who we are. The third thing, statement of personal testimony, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Not once is Paul saying, look at me. He's saying, look at Christ. I will now approach life as if that is true. I will step forward in faith and courage in the everyday life, whether with my neighbor or the person on the street, because my identity is Jesus. So you cannot tell the person enough about their identity in Christ. And anytime it sways back into meism, we need to help direct and bring uh, recalibration again. So as a disciple maker, you establish direction, you clarify responsibility, and you instill identity. And the last one is you assist, encourage, and bring accountability. So as we help restore change, we must carry others' burdens and encourage others daily. This is our call. We encourage others daily. What does it mean to hold a person accountable? Well, on the screen, accountability, accountability is not these things. Being a private detective, 
doing the work of the Holy Spirit, not about being someone, someone's conscience, not about forcing someone to obey, not about chasing the runner or looking for someone that is hiding. That is not accountability. Accountability is, the, on the screen there, providing love, structure, guidance, assistance, acceptance, encouragement, and also warning to a person that is committed to change. Now, accountability only works... It only works when the one you are keeping account is the one that puts in the work. That's the only way it works. If you're called to accountability and someone comes to me and goes, can you keep me accountable? The one that actually makes that work is that one asking for it. They have to put in the work. I can't be in your home. I can't guide you. I can't hold your hand to read the Bible. I can't hold your hand to study. There's going to be times that I can meet with you and talk about these things and challenge you with questions and move and give you direction and clarify responsibility. But I can't do the day-to-day. When you wake up, what are you looking at? That requires you as the one that is accountable. And we all, friends, are accountable to Christ. We have to put in the work in that moment Jesus has done all the salvation part. That's done. That's done. Now we obey him. Now we work out of the beauty and the free gift of salvation. See, the person who makes accountability work is the person that is being held accountable. If you want accountability in your life, you need to put in the time. You need to put in the time. So what does accountability look like? Well, it can look like providing structure. When life is messy and chaotic, sometimes someone needs literally to lay out their timeline and help them walk through a specific timeline of the day. We need help in that because, again, we all have blind spots and we feel overwhelmed and we're feeling like we're spinning 18 plates on, a, on poles and all of them are starting to crash and wobble around. We need help and others to have and see guide, guidelines, gives us structure on that. Second thing is it provides guidance. Many people want to change but have no idea where to start. You can come alongside and give this guidance. It also can provide assistance. Another set of eyes can be a great help. It also provides encouragement. Change can be discouraging. Change can be incredibly discouraging. So it it provides encouragement and, and someone to come alongside and encourage the individual in their walk with Christ. And lastly, it provides warning. People at times will want to cut and run. And that time, people will need to be warned of the consequences of those actions. Because again, like we don't see the future in store, we need other people to help point us to what is coming. And God unpacks everything for us here. He gives us the end of the story. And if you don't believe and trust in him, he also gives you that part of the story too. You will spend eternity paying for your sin in hell. By his wrath, perfect justice. That should freak us out. It's not Satan that rules hell. God does. Perfectly. So we need a warning. So the central point is discipleship doesn't end at the point of insight. Discipleship doesn't end at the point of commitment. Discipleship needs a clear direction. It needs responsibility. It needs instilled identity. And it needs to be done in the bride of Christ. We cannot ever be lone rangers. 
We can't be on our own. We need the church. We need each other. So we need to continue to help bear the burden of change for those in our lives. And this will require time. This will complicate our lives. This means it's going to add things to your schedule, which means, you know what, you've got to set priorities. And what is the most priority? Well, I think we're given this for a very specific reason, that we can adjust our priorities accordingly. And that's what we need to do as a church. Our identity comes from Jesus, and he gives us our priorities. And so we need to then live them out. Let me close with um, a couple of statements. The first one is this. Last week we talked about uh, evangelism. And the biggest thing when it comes to evangelism is love. Like the only way you're going to share with someone is when you actually love them. Discipleship is the same thing. Do you love that individual before you? Are you going to put time and effort to actually come alongside them and direct them to, for a change? And the, the starting point is your kids and your family. Also, to add on to discipleship, it is the draw in the, in the direction that you go is holiness. So not only love, but you're, you have now efforting, you're efforting to be holy as God is holy. Let me read two quotes from Paul's. Paul Tripp first, and then the Apostle Paul second, and then we'll pray. First one is Paul Tripp. God's primary goal is not changing our situations and relationships so that we can be happy, but changing us through our situations and relationships so that we'll, we will be holy. Love that quote. Apostle Paul is much better. Titus 2, 11 through 12, it says this, For the grace of God has appeared. He's appeared through Jesus Christ, bringing salvation for all people who believe and trust on him, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, to be holy as our leader is holy. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for uh, this core value of discipleship. Um, this is a big one. This, this is a, a value that we see all the way through the scripture, all the way even in the garden where you discipled Adam and Eve, giving them direction, instilling identity. So Lord, help us be faithful disciple makers here at the shore. Help us be faithful disciple makers as followers of you, Jesus. Help us be those discipleship those disciple makers that, that follow you first and foremost with all of our lives, with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So help us, Lord. Be guided by your word. Uh, be, be mindful of the, the, the identity that we get from you vertically and that we'll push aside the worries of this world and the, the things that are trying to identify us here horizontally. So help us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.